Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Howdy, podcast fiends. You legends are listening to episode 191 of the Howie Games, part A, featuring, as I speak, two-time world surfing champion, Tyler Wright. With the horn, we make it official. The 2017 Women's World Champion, Tyler Wright. Tyler comes to us courtesy of the great people at Rip Curl. She is a long-time Rip Curl athlete. She is also a phenom on a surfboard. Always has been. But just because you're world-class at something, does that mean you love it? Does that mean you want to pursue it? What does parental encouragement look like? Where does it cross into parental pressure? Then how does it end up going too far, way too far? And what impact does that have on the child and the adult they become? These are questions that Tyler is in a unique position to answer. Some of Tyler's experiences that she talks about in this episode shock me. I expect some of you will find parts of Tyler's story difficult to listen to at times. There are some adult themes discussed in the mental health space. Decide what suits your family. But for mine, I would encourage my children to listen to this episode. They, for me, are valuable lessons for all ages. Enjoy the story of Tyler Wright a woman now in charge of her journey. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion this is an episode I've been looking forward to for quite some time, and thanks to the good people at Rip Curl, it is now possible to sit down with a phenomenal athlete and a phenomenal person that I haven't met before, and I'm pumped she's in here. We discussed whether she was a handshake or a hugger. You went handshake, I went hug, two-time world champion. Tyler Wright, welcome to the Howie Games. How are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. I was a bit unsure. You never know these days, yep. but I, I've, the last couple of years I've become more of a hugger. <laughs> More of a hugger. Well, what about you? You're, are you a handshake or a um, hugger? It, it just depends on vibe. Right. Like sometimes in certain settings I'll, I'll shake, but if it's it's someone that has a nicer vibe, I've always like, yeah, I'll give you a hug. Well, hopefully I was yeah. a nice enough no, vibe no, to get a hug. Uh, your vibe is, is lovely. Good. I did get it. There's so much I want to talk to you about, but I, I love to travel and I, I'm, yep. I'm lucky to see some of the world. I look at what you have done and you've, you've flown down from UE4 this, which I said I really appreciate because... I understand flights and travel. Before we get to where you've gone to, do you have a, because I do a bit of this myself, do you have a way to deal with jet lag? Like, you, you, we'll go where you've gone shortly, but yeah. we, have you got a solution for me? Don't nap. Don't nap. Don't nap before, like, after 12, um, if at all. What about when your eyeballs are hanging out of your head? Get outside, go in the water, get in the sun, and Surf. also eat. Eat? Eat. Eat. When you're meant to eat, doesn't matter. Like if it, you're not hungry, just eat. Eat in the morning. Eat in the middle of the day. Eat a, uh, dinner, and then, um, yeah, that's about it. Don't nap. Uh, don't look at your phone in the middle of the night. It's and never what hap- the answer. What happens in the middle of the night when, say, you're competing the next day? You've got to go to work the next mm. day, ostensibly, and you're wide awake. Do you start freaking out? Do you do you work your way through it? It is what it is. Right. You so just, you just deal with it. You just got to deal with it. You just um. By this point, you've learned multiple strategies to just to accept and allow, hey, this is where I am. I can't change it. Hmm. I, I am not going to pressurize myself into thinking that this means anything other than, yeah, I'm not sleeping right now and that's okay. Um, tomorrow's tomorrow and 
you know, yeah, I might be a little bit more tired, but you know, it, it is what it is. So for people, um, even people that do follow the WSL, but for those that don't, so your year, Billabong Pro Pipe. So you go to Hawaii. It's Tyler's turn. She'll just pull in. Next section is getting nice and mushy, but she has so much speed to push through it. And she trims the end section and stays on her feet. There's the celebration for Tyler. And then sunset, you're in Hawaii. Big set. Tyler Wright, long bomb turn, layback hack, catches the outside rail. Then you go to Portugal. Disappointment for Tyler Wright, our two-time world champ, as she is eliminated from competition at the Mio Ripcult Portugal Pro. And that'll be a tough one to take for her. Then you come to Melbourne for the Ripcurl Pro. And we'll make it official. Tyler Wright has done it in back-to-back -back seasons. A champion once again at the Ripcurl Pro Bells Beach presented by... Uh, then you go to Margaret River. Goes down another rapid cutback and she chatters out, doesn't get a finish. Then you go to the Surf Ranch, which is obviously in the United States, Kelly's wave pool. Some nice energy out of that hook from Tyler. Then you go to El Salvador, which mm. is outstanding. Then you go to Rio. Tyler Wright in another final this season. And then you go to South Africa to Jay Bay. Very strong year for Tyler Wright, and uh, she would be happy to be back in the semifinals. Very consistent and strong year for Tyler. Next up is it is it French Polynesia going to Tahiti next? Tahiti, Tahiti yep. next, and then it all finishes back at Trestles in California. Yeah. So when when's pipe? What time of the year is that? To give it, people an idea, it starts like last couple of days of January okay. or like or the very start of February. Um, usually we're there two to three weeks beforehand, either shooting for rip coal yep. or honestly prepping for pipe. It's a, like quite a hard way to to practice. Um, so, so it's early in the year and then you'll finish this year with the way the finals are or September, yeah? Yeah, September. September. Okay. So for instance, this year I, I actually started, went to Hawaii in December for a novelty event yep. just because it's time. It was an hour and a half in the lineup without 200 people out. So we, that was started December. We were there for probably two to three weeks um, for that. Come home for a couple of weeks then we, we go kind of like first or second week of January and then, yeah. <laughs> so with all that, I've been privileged to be to some of these places, yep. others I would love to go to. Yep. Is there any time to have a look around or is it that fo this this like people reading this think, wow, this sound, you're, you're traveling yep. the world, you're going surfing, you're yep. there. I know there's more to it than that, but do you get out to explore? Like do you get to go um, on a safari when you're in South Africa yep. or go and see some of Hawaii or um, go to a winery in Portugal? Do you get to do any of that stuff or is it just competition, Tyler? It, no, it is a mix if you allow it, okay. if you accommodate. And it also depends, like... Um, the first two events are in Hawaii. So it's an extended period of possibly six to eight weeks where you're in Hawaii. So you you kind of want to have a high, you will, because it's still the season hasn't started, still have a relatively high uh, training program. Um, hours in the water are long. Um, so you are a bit tired, but you generally, if you want, you can go and explore, you go into town, um, go to a nice restaurant, but also there's nothing wrong with just sitting, sitting on the beach and reading a book, yep. um, which is also very rejuvenating. So it will literally just depend on how full your plate is and, and like how, how well you can manage time. And so like there's another part in the year where it's like four events in seven to eight weeks. I will barely do anything. Just like, competing. Just competing, just surfing. Um, I barely free surf. 
I will, and it, it depends how your body like will hold up as well. So, but then every now and then you're like, oh, I want to do something today, but it can only be for a couple of hours. It can only be in close proximity. Hmm. And so that's me personally, like, but then there's certain places you go to like South Africa. I've been there a few times now. I'm very comfortable. I know what I'm going to get. I know where I'm staying. I know the food that I'm eating. And you you have a certain level of comfort where you're like, I'm settled. And I know that once the event is done, I'm very comfortable at the event as well. And I will more than likely have a few days at the end. And so you make the effort and you, you go on safari with someone really nice where th- it's just it's just easy. And it's because you... It's like doing something outside, but you're sitting down as well. So it's, I think it's a balance. The common theme I get when I talk to surfers is, you know, they know a certain person, a chopu that they Mm. go and hang out with or a certain person that keeps them grounded in Portugal. You seem to be able to develop amazing once a year relationships where you see someone for two weeks once a year, which uh, I think a lot of my relationships might function nice in that way. (laughs) Well, it's, it's. Like for us, the tours change kind of drastically with times on like timing of events as well now, and mm. and I think some of the women haven't been going to the places uh, as long as the guys yeah. have. So we're still kind of developing relationships where we go. I'm lucky that I get to travel with my wife, so she will now come, and she is also able to form connections with people and, and different communities as well. So it's been, I think as I get older, I realise that sometimes it's those people that make the difference or even having a different family member at, at, at a really long leg, like a gruelling leg. And like I call home more than I've ever done in my life. I used to go for four or five months at a time and never call home. But Who are you calling? I, I call my mum, my sister, my brother. Yeah, and just to, and we'll just sit on FaceTime and cook or eat dinner. We're How not actually... I know it's and it's, it's like they're in the room with you. It's it's so nice. It really is. Um, yeah, and just doing normal stuff. Just normal stuff. When you're in and a hotel, yeah, I'm I get like, that. Oh yeah, like show me my dog, or mm. like show me what's you know, like or where's the kids, or just anything. We don't actually talk about anything. Before we go back to the start and follow your journey through, which mm. is she's a wild journey <laughs> for a person of your age. It's a wild journey. Before we do that, <laughs> there's just two spots on here yeah. that I, I want to ask you about. So I was watching. Um, we're big fans of you in my house. I got yep. a couple of kids, yep. um, and we were watching J Bay uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, and it, like, it, it so there's two real surf specific questions. Are you not right into surfing? Skip, but you're gonna yep. miss the best part. Like <laughs> Jeffrey's Bay looked like the pictures you used to draw in school. It looked unbelievable. I'm sitting there watching it with my 11 year old. And he's like, Dad, do you think we could make that section? I'm like, Well, you might be able to. I definitely couldn't. And he's like, What do you think it'd be like surfing out there with only one other person? So when you are in that situation, when it is that picture perfect J Bay right hander and, and you're just paddling out, is there any time to appreciate? as a surfer, how lucky you are, or is it that you're just that focused on competition is just, right, I'm going to win here? Or can you sit back and go, wow, I'm here on just the most beautiful spot with one other person, like how good is this? I think that's the balance with surfers is mm. that I, that particular spot, I wake up every day before the sun comes up. I walk down. Um, my wife will usually join me. We'll have a, we'll make a cup of tea. We'll put it in our cups and we'll, we'll walk down and we'll sit on the beach and watch the sun come up. And it is the most special moments, places, and also just like 
complete and utter appreciation time of where we are, what we're doing, and and just how beautiful it is. And we'll sit there for like an hour. Um, I'm glad you realised that as it's going on. It, it is, it, especially that place. Some places I struggle just because the, sometimes who I am doesn't match the energy of where I am. But I feel like in South Africa it is so quiet and so peaceful and so beautiful and like you watch the sun come up um, across the lake so you kind of like see across the ocean and behind um, – quite in, in the distance and you watch it come over. The sky's the most beautiful colours you could possibly imagine. There's dolphins going by, there's whales in the lineup, <laughs> there's waves coming down, there's surfers going out. It is honestly like so peaceful and so rewarding to just simply enjoy. And I think you'll see performances lift in a place like that yeah. because we're in that place um, where there's other events where it's just like, and I try not to approach events like this either anymore. Um, is like getting get it done. It's like you know I, I'm quite mindful in how I every event that I go to. I, I never treat them the same. But I feel like Jeffrey's Bay is it's the most right now. It's the best event on tour between here and uh, Bell's Beach at Jarrah. We mm-hmm. I just there's. Some places we go, are the energy, you just know they're, like, sacred. And I know that's in Hawaii as well and, 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 and some of the places, all the places that we go are, but it's just sometimes certain places are a different level of quiet. Well, that's how it looks watching it. Like, as I said, mm. we, we just sit there and go, wow, imagine surfing that with one other person. So the, the, the juxtaposition of that, the other one that fascinates me, is the surf ranch <laughs> because it's like you've just talked about the piece of it. And then for people who haven't seen it, so it's, mm. a, it's a wave pool. Um, Kelly Slater has been involved. It's like a, this train seems yeah. to run along the track and then there's this wave. What's it like surfing? Everything you do is around understanding the wave and the yeah. difference of the wave and how a certain wave can pop up. And, it's, and then all of a sudden you're on this mechanical thing <laughs> that is like to watch it the first mm. hour I'm like, this is unbelievable. And then it's like, oh, I've seen that time and time again. That's as a viewer. Yeah, as a viewer, I think it's like that. I think as a surfer or someone that gets to surf it, it's a different experience. Um, But as a competitor and doing that, look, like 95% of my job is completely pushed to the side. Like I'm not really working. Um, I'm surfing specifically on a wave for a minute and in four minutes' time I'll go back the other way. Is it fun? It's fun, yes. Like if you fun. if you get to surf it, I'm not sure that's happening. But it's, yeah, it's it's fun. Like it is, but it as looks a, achievable as a mug surfer. It looks achievable. Yeah, it's designed that way. You know, most of the time, that well, they're obviously not running comps there often. We're on the level that is probably the hardest, I think. And so I think there's. It does come down in levels. So to so be you can put it down to yeah, cook yeah. level where yeah, I'm yeah, at. Yeah, oh, yeah. Nice. yeah, you'll be sweet. It's fine. <laughs> well, that's get what barreled. I need. But honestly, you want to learn how to get barreled, you go and do that. Like yes. it's one of those waves, but as a competitor, I've never competed there this year until this year. And like in our event zones, we're quite protected as in like we can get our space. But in this, we're so exposed. We're so exposed. And I... 
I really struggled with the exposure because I couldn't settle. Exposure to audience, to TV cameras? To everyone. Everyone could see it. So, like, I can't do my weird things that I need to do to calm down. What type of weird things? Well, it's literally, like, I'll, I'll sit or like kind of just stand in the corner and breathe or like, but it's, I feel protected. Yeah. Whereas I feel like there was no place for me to actually just settle. Like my team couldn't settle. I couldn't settle. Um, so yeah, other than that, yeah, it's a, it's an unusual experience, funner to surf than it is to view. And with what's coming up now, when this comes out, it's probably around the last event. Mm. Um, you'll be in the final five, so you'll be competing yep. for a, another world title. Um, and Howie Games wishes you best Thank of you. luck with that. Thank is you. it? Is that something far off in the back of your mind? Is it in your mind? Is it constant in your mind? Like, how, how do you deal? Because as well as you go to so many events, it's mm. not like a as a, a footy player is playing every week. Mm. You, you've got big gaps. So this potential to to a winner world title, where, where does that sit in your brain as we sit right now? It's, it's probably peripheral, if that makes sense. Like um, after the last leg, it's really hard to keep it all together. So I think since I got home, I kind of, I let what my- What does that mean, keep it all together? In the sense of like, this is my first time in a world title race in a, in, and almost- and again, I haven't finished a year since 2017. It's my first time where I consider I'm in the proper space to really be in that position. Mentally? Physi- Mentally, physically. Okay. Um, but after what I noticed, again, this is like kind of live learnings. Like what I found is after the last, we did four events in seven weeks and you get to the end of that and you kind of, what I've noticed, what I'm doing is kind of like I'll let myself go a little bit unhinged and in, in the sense of like I won't be as... Unhinged? Yeah, like I won't be as strict. I'll be, I'll, I'll kind of, I'm not getting up every day and doing nervous system regulators. I'm not doing, getting up every day and doing mindfulness and... and What's and, a nervous system regulator? Ice baths, mindfulness, meditation. Okay. Right. Um, Do you squeal in the ice bath? No, love it. Absolutely. Know? I get really? I get less thoughts. My it's so quiet in my head. Ice wheel. Oh, it's like a little piglet. Yeah, it's right. honestly, it's I can get it. I understand it. <laughs> um I just get it's honestly like So you love it. I love it. But then I what I've noticed, I'll go back to training and I'll check in with my team and and like even like talking to my psychologist about all right, I'm in the five now and then I do get frustrated with things or I'm like, I don't value that. So how do I get to where people are? Like, because sometimes I find the way I think about things is very different to how other people think about things and it's it's clear that there's a gap. And I'm like, I understand why they value that, but I don't either, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like where my why is very different and... You know, it's kind of talking these things through and then eventually what I've started to notice is like I'll start slowly putting the pieces back together about what the next two events mean to me, my why in the next two, and just getting really, really clear. But I think I'll let myself, I say unhinged, you know, it's not really anything. It's just not surfing. It's just staying in my house and 
getting wallpaper off the walls. Less regimented than you. I, I'm and less regimented, and I'm I'm less. But it yeah allows me to kind of relax into what I'm doing, and and also just come back to it with a clearer approach. And you know, I pick up on what my um, psychologist says in the sense of like, hey, you just got to decide, like, and. It's true, and getting to that place where you can have full clarity around your decision, um, it, it's a process. And so, yeah, I'm just in my process at the moment. But, no, I, I don't find that I'll, I'll – I won't really think about it because it feel in the sense of there's not a lot I can do right now. So what, what at the moment, why are you – you know, you've achieved everything in the yeah. sport. Yeah. Like what's the why at the moment? Why continue to go to all these places, put yourself under pressure, um, tackle in Tahiti? What, who knows? Could be mm. truly frightening waves. What's the why at the moment for Tyler Wright? Honestly, it's, it's just for me now. Like, as now. You've, yeah, now it's just for me. I think I've divested from what others really want from me. I've divested like societal expectations of what people think I can do. Um, and I started investing in what was important to me in in a way where I understand that world titles are really valuable to the audience and, and that's the, the technical skill level I have. I, I've done that. But at the same time when it's different from when I was younger, I've achieved more than I ever thought I would achieve and it also came at a cost. And... I kind of got to a point where I, I, I was like, I never want to do what I've done the same way I did it. And, and you know, with the, I think when you're younger, you, you're kind of driven by not blind, but close to blind things, if that makes sense. Like blind. Like ambition or ambition following the path or, other people have set yeah, for you? Yeah, like you, you're so young that I don't know if I well, really. Especially with you, which we'll yeah, get to. Yeah, yeah, like we'll, I'm sure we'll get there. But I just don't know if it was really for me. And, you know, like. I rebelled in a lot of different ways and I think people found me really confronting and confusing and, and yeah, so now it's, I'm okay if people don't quite understand and I'm okay with leaving people where they are and okay. it, it's becoming a process where I have to find where the high level of engagement is for me and it's not where people say it is and I understand, I understand that it's weird, the outcome thing is, People put a lot of value in that. Do you watch the cricket at all? No. So cricket at the moment, right, it's been an outcome-generated sport. Australia's yeah. just one – they've just drawn a series with England cricket. You don't need to know the details. Mm. But the English cricket team, for the first time in what I've ever seen in professional sport, have said they're taking the outcome out of it but have actually taken the outcome out of it. Mm. And these guys are playing cricket like they've never played in their yeah. life. Yeah. And it's fantastic to yeah. watch them. But you hear a lot of athletes say it. That I've seen them do that and it's mm. it's wonderful to watch. It is. It must be wonderful to compete that way if that's truly how you feel. It's wonderful to compete that way. It's, but it's wonderful. it's wonderful in the way of like I feel like for the first time in my career I actually have autonomy. In, in where I go, in what direction I go and, and how I go there and, and the process of it. Um, and I, if that's what the England cricket team have done, I can only imagine the work that they've actually done to get there because it's not easy. No. It's not easy. You literally have to find every fishing hook, distraction, every kind of weight, societal weight 
that's been placed on outcome and completely shift your mentality to process. And that's not easy because it is easy to want the big medals. It is easy to want the trophies. That little thought, like I can imagine as much as you train your brain at the end of the day, when you get there, when push comes to shove, it must be hard not to think there's the goal. Well, I think it depends. Like it was only recently my psychologist, he asked me recently what I thought about finals. And you, you probably noticed that I've got second a lot. It was actually kind of fine with that a lot of the time. And then it really annoyed me this year because I was not happy with my psychology. I was like, I don't care about the outcome. It's my psychology that I'm, I'm not happy with in these moments. Um, and it has taken 12 years for someone to ask me, what do you think? about finals. I'd never thought about it. And I was just, I was like, and I'm really honest with him. And I'm like, honestly, they're just like a whole bunch of extra work. And then everyone wants your attention. Hmm. And then you're in the spotlight more. And then people say other shit more. And then like the, the noise that comes with it takes away from the feeling that I have. And it almost dilutes the actual, the actual thing. And I don't want that. And I think I was so young when all of this started happening that I was like, honestly, I have a, I can see that I have a kind of like punk attitude towards finals. And I was like, no, I'll be the best and I can be the best in the world, but I'll do it from second because I don't have to do the extra work. I don't have to do, I don't have to have all the spotlight. And I never wanted the spotlight. It's The spotlight gave me mad anxiety, gave me... I didn't want it because I didn't feel I was ready for it either. And I, I think I was too young when I, you know, I was fourth in the world at 16 and I was running for world titles and winning events at 14. And I think all of it got to a point where everyone, from my perspective, everyone valued me from position one. And my kind of, I can see myself putting the pieces together, whether that's <laughs> in the light or in the, like in the shadows of my subconscious going, you value that more than you value me. You don't value me because you're not listening. You're not paying attention is that I'm, I'm not ready to be here and I don't have the skills and all the tools to navigate it mentally. And so it took, I only discovered that this year. And then you, you then you enter a space of self-sabotage, which is, again, people talk about it all the time, but I've probably had an interesting, again, relationship with it because people have often said, it seems like when you decide you want to do something, you just go and do it. I'm like, yeah. But if you're on the fence, it's it can go either way. I was like, yeah, because I haven't decided yet. And so... It's really easy to get distracted by other, what other people want from you. And I found that from a really young age. And it was easier for me. And I, I've, I kind of find a way, a way to navigate it going, just cop this on the chin in this space and then you can go and hide. You can go and, and live your life over here and you can read your books and you can kind of nerd out and you can, you can kind of put the facade on. And, and I think it, it came in like I was more of a, a bit of a, not, a, I wouldn't say punk, I was, but I would, 
lift my shoulder up and was like, yeah, whatever, I don't give a shit. Like I had that attitude. Um, and it wasn't that I was too cool to try. It was just that though I wasn't ready for those consequences to happen and I think still to this day, up until recently, I had never set a clear intention of what I ever wanted um, in finals specifically. And, you know, the, there's an era of back 20, 2013, 2014 and, and probably up until 2017 that in multiple years I was in you know, five or six finals a year. I would convert one or two, but the majority would not be converted. Um, and and when you paddled in, was that okay? Yes, fine. I'm happy with it. I'm I'm not. I and that's not to say that I'm out there going, not giving him my best effort. Mm. But I think what's really easy to hide from for me personally is because I was so successful. No one's going to call me out on it. Like, you know, you're making six, seven finals a year. Like it's 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 a remarkable feat. Yes, but you need people. What I found as I've gotten older, I'm going to my team going, I'm not happy with this because I can, I now personally want to be better. Yep. So it's when you talk about outcome over process or mm. process over outcome, outcome's cool. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, world titles are cool. Um, I've done it. And so now it's like, the challenge to me is can I stay in my process? And and it's not that I don't think that outcomes are cool. It's just I value my process so much more than I value the outcome because if I win the same way as I've always won, you know, more than likely the trophy will end up where my other trophies are is in my mum's attic in her garage. Mm. Like I, it's cool but it's not as cool as doing it with your whole self um, integrated and I've spent a lot of time working on that in the last five years is trying to integrate my my process um, and be really, really clear on my why because for a long time I didn't have one. So before you had the whys and the expectation, like which, to take it right back, Tyler, mm. it's a fascinating discussion. To take it right back <laughs> when you were a kid at the beach, what yep. was it about surfing? I think my siblings did it. Yep. It was really fun. I think the beach was really cool. Yep. Um, you know, I, I'd love to say that I loved it. I don't know if that's particularly true um, because I was, again, I was really young. <laughs> and so, mm. and I think I, I, well, I was naturally very good at it. So I, it was one of those ones where there's always been a sort of kind of commodity to it. Like again, I was very young, but so validation came from it right at that young age. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm one of five. Like yeah. it's. What, what was your first surfboard? What was the first thing you remember surfing? Was well, it must be a hand down, hand me down if you want to. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I think it was one of like my first own was like a second hand board from the neighbours two doors down. It was a burn surfboard. It was five five. It was blue purple. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and kind of like had a whole board spray and it was cool as and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm riding a 5.5 five now. Like, that's sick. Like, just dropped down from like, you know, dad's 6.3. Yeah. And <laughs> I remember it so clearly and he, he, he came in and he was like, oh, yeah, here's your first surfboard. Like, it's secondhand. And and you you just remember those moments though. So I think there's a part of me that 
has taken the ownership back of those stories and, and find a lot of joy in in some of these moments because well, the, the look on your face when you're, yeah, when you're describing the board yeah, is like, just joy. It's just it's these and then like I remember my first custom board, which is like a whole it's a whole different level. And so like, for that, so it's a board made for you specifically. It's, a, it's board made for me. So it was a. Have your name on the back. Did Fort yep. Tyler. Yeah, Fort Tyler. It had five three with a bunch of shooting stars. It was like red, orange. Again, we can remember these things in mm. high detail. And and yeah, the, these moments are they're they're the kind of purity of being so excited. And and you just don't forget. No matter what happens on that journey, you just don't forget those sorts of moments. So um and yeah, you, yeah, it's like yeah, it was pretty. I think I was five. Okay, yeah. so so you're a young girl. Um, I'm going through this at the moment with my kids. I think all parents do mm. um, to see what your kids are into and try and give them every opportunity to succeed in that space mm. and push them a bit when you think they need pushing, or just stand back and let them go. Now you came with your old man Rob, who, from what I can gather, was someone that pushed. <laughs> yeah. Um, you yeah. laugh at that. Why do you laugh at that? Because of how hard he pushed? Yeah. Yeah. He, he pushed very hard. He, he's a very interesting character now. Like, and in it's, he, he's hard to describe, but yeah, I think he pushed and I think there is a way to do it. But at, at the same time, I think my experience of it was, yeah, again, it's a, it's a brutalist way to do it sometimes. Like Describe brutal to me. Um, I was raised on the South Coast. We're wearing 3-2 wetsuits 29 years ago. Wetsuits weren't that great then. Um, and so we had double wetsuits on, you know, where we're out there at the crack of dawn. And if we're out there for one wave, it's not good enough. Did you want to be out there? You know, I think you're so influenced by your environment at that time. Just what you do. It's just what you do. And so, but when you don't go out there, the consequences are gnarly. You, what were the consequences? It was more just, um, how do I put it? Uh, there was no attention. There was like kind of, well, that's a whole different conversation where I'd actually have to remember it. But, you know, if you didn't go, you know that you kind of messed up. Right. Like you if let you, the side down? I think my dad had an interesting psychology is what I've discovered as an adult. Yeah. Um, and so it was just the – there wasn't really a choice. It was just it's either my way or the highway, and if you don't get on my way, you're going to know about it. And how how did that affect you in, in the early years when you're starting to compete? Basically, um, I'm trying to figure out through – uh, like I'm privileged to speak to a lot of athletes yeah, and yeah. they have different backgrounds and yeah, you try okay. and bring it into your own pairing, what yeah, works yeah, and what yeah. doesn't work. Like that's the best thing for me about this show is what you can no, apply. No, it's funny because like I, I actually talk about this with my wife all the time if we had kids and we've always said, no, we're not having kids. They um, sneak up on you, the little yeah, brothers. Yeah, they yeah, sneak yeah. up on you. First it's a bird, <laughs> yeah. then it's a dog <laughs> and then you got six kids and you're like, yeah. how the heck did that happen? Literally. Um, so, but we, we always talk about it like and especially for me I'd be like you mm. know what like I, I think bet. yeah like I think I, I look at things I'd, I would love if my kids surfed I would love if they had a natural love of the ocean and I would 
absolutely love that. And I think in a, in a, in a way of like a sporting context, right? I think we, we've talked about things going, if they did a sport and they wanted to do a sport, great. They came back halfway through the year or whatever after a, a hard game or a hard surf and be like, I want to quit. And you're like, hey, you can quit, but you can't quit on a bad day. And like be okay. like, or something like that, or or have the things of like, okay, we're going to do this, but we're gonna we're gonna sign up. Yep, there's going to be hard days where you don't want to do it, but we're going to commit to a year or a season, and we can talk things through as we go. And and if there's a point where you're like, hey, I really don't want to do this anymore, and it and it's not just because you're tired or whatever. It's just like, yep, that's so fine. We got, but we're going to stop on the best day. We're going to stop. And, and, and that's how we could do things. Yep. Cause I, I, I know that I'm, I'm actually not petrified of what my father did. I just think for his own psychology, he did the best he knew how, but I think as, as a young woman, I would do it very differently. Did, did was he pushing you like that to explain a way of life? Did he want you to become a champion surfer? Like, what do you think his motivation was to, you know, get up early in the morning have oats, travel in the bus, get up and do martial arts at 4.30 in the morning. This, like, sounded like a freaking boot camp, to be fair. Yeah. No, no, we were raised to be weapons. Right. So, like... It's, well, you've turned into one. Yeah, um, no. For good or for bad, I don't know. That's up yeah. to you to answer. But what do you reckon his motivation was, weapon? I think so. Part of me... I think the whole theory of... Or to prepare you for how hard he knew life might be? No, I, I don't. I don't think I would dive that deep into psychology with him. Right. I think it would just be. It's easier if there's a high level of control and a high level. And it's not hard to manipulate kids. I know that sounds really, really mean and probably weird. But if you, 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 you idolise your parents too, what you, they say you'd, to do, you do. Literally, and you, if you like, if you knew the sort of situation that we were in at the time, which is now something that I'm very conscious and aware of. Of I think there's a few fundamental things that you need as a kid. Safety is one of them. And I, I think one of those, sometimes when you're driven so hard towards something, and that's what I mean, like people are like, oh, do you love it? I'm like, I don't know if I've ever said I love surfing in particular. I love my job because it, it, I have a brain that loves puzzles and, and problem solving and, and, and picking up on pieces that people miss and I love that. But when it comes to like the kind of the whole picture of his parenting, I'd say, look, it it was unique and it was also kind of, um, yeah, we were raised to be weapons and we, we did. We, we all became them. We're very good at it and very high performing. And But what we sucked at was life. In what way? Well, self-regulation, emotions, articulation, we couldn't have emotions. Um, there was no sign to be a weakness. Being a woman in our household was an absolute shit show. Um, you could see the general treatment of humans based on gender. You can see general um, human treatment based on success and, like, if, if you were deemed successful by the public eye that you'd be treated differently if you weren't deemed successful that you know and wow. you're in a you're in a household with five kids and I think to a certain extent there's like there's my two older brothers um my sister me and my younger brother and even in personality we're very different 
and you'll notice that yeah we're all di- we're all very different and we've all interpreted our upbringing very differently and what's impacted us and and how that kind of you can unknowingly have drives for that and i think for me personally i got so much attention for something that i gave i didn't care about as in attention succeeding in surfing yeah yeah but what that allowed me to do was hide so and have a certain level of protection so hide from uh, parents right. um so tell so in, in, so you go on a surf comp as a kid you yep. win um there's adulation yep. oh geez tyler right she's won again she's a gun so what does that do for you it actually, it, it's a double-edged sword because it, it allows me some freedom in the sense of like dad will back off for a little bit. Okay. But he will also use it to manipulate because he's like, oh, well, you know, um, if you don't do what he wants to do, then it's used against you. So you have things that you care about, cared about soccer, loved soccer, played on multiple teams. But after 14, that was like, no. You, you can't play that anymore. You, you're a surfer now and that's what you're doing. And So he made that decision for you? Yeah, like it's just like, oh, it's, you know, the soccer field at the end of the road. No, you're not going. Like you just, the there's certain things that I think as a, as a, a parent, um, again, I'm not one, but I, I, I've thought about it a lot in the sense of what a kid needs as well. Like, socially, emotionally, physically, mm. mentally, you can't just service one thing. So I was a human that was trained to be a weapon in one particular area of life and I thrived and I killed it and I was 14 winning CTs and I was 16 qualified and by 16 running for world titles. But, which is in a physical sense, amazing. But the problem comes when you, you're 16 and you realise that you're not a weapon. You, you're 16, you, you start to be like, hey, I don't like that. You're 16 and you look at how someone treats another person and you're like, I don't like that either. And, and then the game of how to get someone that's 16 who's starting to question you to stay under your control. And that's a whole... It's a whole different mind game. Back to Tyler shortly. Next up on the podcast, an athlete with a truly unique story, an AFL premiership player, a long-term AFL coach, a remarkable woman by the name of Danielle Laidley. When do you begin to nourish the real you? When do you start and how do you start buying clothes and when do you go out for the first time yeah. as you? Yeah. Um, pretty complex stuff. You know, yeah, um, to keep it quite simplistic, um, through my late teenage years, um, there started to be some nourishment there. Just following the sense of the, the, this feeling and emotion that I would get from it. Um, and it's really interesting, um, and I'm happy to share this. Um, Thank you. Some people um, see it as a, a, a fetish and, and a sexual fetish at, at that. And, you know, from reading and that, I, 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 can, I can understand that. 
But for me, it was never about that. It was not like, oh, get turned on to that. It was just this overwhelming feeling of a sense of calmness and and a feeling of of me. Um, And it was always was always difficult buying clothes whenever you did and um, it was always, oh, uh, I'm looking for something for my girlfriend. Well, you're a recognisable figure as well. Yes. You're yes. Dean Laidley, the West Coast Eagles yep. star. Yep. Danielle is soon to feature in a must-watch documentary on Stan. Dropping on September 19, it is titled Danielle Laidley, Two Tribes. It is a phenomenal documentary. Keep an eye out for it, September 19. And, of course, keep an ear out for the podcast with Danielle dropping next week. Let's get back to Tyler. You mentioned 14 and 16. Um, we're, as I said, we're here. So how long have you been a Rip Curl athlete since you were... Since I was eight. Eight. So yeah. um, you're, you're very separate to your brother, but he sat in that chair and he talked about his excitement when he got some Rip Curl stickers. Oh, it's, it's like out of this world. <laughs> what was it for you? What, what, what was it for you? Because that doesn't happen as a cricketer or as a footballer as an no, eight-year-old, but it yeah. does in surfing and skateboarding yeah. and those extreme yep. sports. Like how did it how did it happen? Do you get you get a letter? You get a no. Um, there's these comps. There's like two in Australia. I don't know if they still exist. I hope they still do because God, they were like the apple of our our eyes when we were children, and they'd have really cool prizes. And like you'd get back when the iPod came out, and you got the very first version of the iPod, the and little one, yeah, the super little one, <laughs> yeah. long skinny one, and stuff like that. I didn't even know what it was, so I just gave it away. <laughs> And but then you I was won like, it. But I won it. And I was like, oh, and like PS5 or fours and twos and threes yeah, or whatever. I'm not sure the PS5s know. were getting a big but run no, at your no, house. No, no, they weren't actually at all. I didn't still, I don't know how to play a game. You're not on, missing anything. No. Trust me. Um, and so there's these comps and if you do really well, apparently all the companies will look at you and sponsor you. And obviously Owen had been, just got signed with Rip Curl. And my dad was pretty funny. I remember him going to the Rip Curl store to meet like the team manager at the time. And I think it was Wes. Um, and, and Wes Schaffner also signed me as well. So it was, um, so it was like meeting Wes and dad's like, no, we're Quicksilver. It's the Rip Curl store. And he's driving on a bargain. No, no. He's, he, this is, yeah, this is the mild version. Is just like, <laughs> we're Quicksilver to the Rip Curl store. He's throwing a Quicksilver yeah, into the mix. Yeah. And, and Owen's <laughs> like, but, I want to wear my Rip Curl stuff to the Rip Curl store to get more Rip Curl. And he's like, no, you're not allowed. You, you have to wear Quicksilver. Wow. And he's like, and I just remember this moment. It's so wild, so weird. And I was like, and this is where, you, you know, you're younger. You're going like, you're off your head, mate, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> you're just like, um, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, he's a, he's a gnarly dude. Um, and... And so he, yeah, he'd do things like that. And so I remember that moment so vividly and like we're in the van, we'll go in there and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, Rip Curl sounds cool. And, um, you know, obviously at that point you're like, you're so obsessed with this. Like you're being told you're good. Um, you know, dad's, you know, you're surfing every day. Like it's freezing cold. Dad's doing it. You're in comps and you're winning comps by the time you're eight. And you're like, Okay. Um, you know, against people that are four years older than you at the time. Big deal. Actually, turns out means absolutely nothing when you get older. Um, at the time, but, though. But at the time, 
you're obsessed with it. And um, and so I think it was like a, maybe six months to a, a year after Owen got sponsored by Rupe Curl, um, I think Wes sent a letter in it and he's like, oh, yeah, like, and he's like, oh, yeah, here's some stickers and, and give some to Tyler and he's a wetsuit for Tyler as well. And you got, like, this size eight little girl's wetsuit. Oh, I think it was a little boy's wetsuit at the time. And you're like, it's 4-3 and it's got, I think it had red shoulders pattern on it. And um, and I just think it was like, I just think you think you're so cool. Well, you are. <laughs> like, it's, to, no, you are. And, and like, to you and to everyone you know, everyone you're at school with that loves to surf and yeah. it's like, oh, Tyler's got a free wetsuit from Whip Curl. Yeah, no, it's it's that, that's, huge news. That's but a I, bomb. I, but I also know that I was never allowed to celebrate it. I was not, it, that's just cross dad's lines. Like you cannot act like a cocky bastard um, and you cannot act out of line. You have to be humble and grateful and, and all those sorts of things, which is, again, pretty good qualities. Um, getting to that point is very different. So like, so yeah, like I remember those those moments and that's God, 21 years ago now. And um, yeah. But you can remember, like, those those two comps, it was in the summer and the July holidays. And we'd drive up to Lennox and then we'd drive up to the Gold Coast and I think it would be, be up there for three weeks. And I remember just surfing Snapper with Mikey all day, eating chips and, like, <laughs> and we'd stay across the road. And for those experiences, I'll be forever grateful. I was about to say, like, that's like, when you, oh. your, your face is lighting up and it's like... Yeah, like, I... Why I are you doing it? Genuinely... Love that. So if you love that, you mentioned 14, the Beachley yeah. Classic. Um, you beat Steph Gilmore, <laughs> the guru along the way. Um, you beat Silvana Lima in the final. And all of a sudden, this is when the Australian sporting public, hears your name for the first time. Ladies and gentlemen, the champion is Tyler Wright. <laughs> Tyler, gee, you're going to have uh, more trophies than your brother Owen soon, hey? What are you, is he getting jealous? Yeah. Oh, that's good. So it's fun with Mikey, your bro, at Snapper, <laughs> yeah. eating chips and surfing. What's it like when you go to your first event um, at 14 and you beat hardened professionals and you're laughing about it now? I, I, I looked back at some vision of it yesterday. Heavens above, like, you're just tiny surfing against, like, women. Yeah. Yep. Look, it, <laughs> it's it's wild. Um, Completely wild. It's so wild. Like, and, and that's the thing. Like, I had a talent that I could get away with doing that, and 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 I because there's no thought into it. It's doing what the weapon's been trained to do. Exactly. There's no actual thought. But what is the really interesting part is that the amount of attention and the amount of publicity, it became something. I feel like from that, like, like you've said, you watch me talk about doing laps and eating hot chips and like, that's, they're moments onto myself. Yes. They, they're only owned by me. They're only valued by me. Yep. All of a sudden, there's just a whole other value in what I'm doing now. It, it's, it's. Expectation? Um, expectation. Yeah. And 14 year olds don't really know what they're going to do in life. I've got a 13-year-old girl at the moment yeah. and, and I had to um, fill in for my beautiful wife and take netball training last night. She wasn't well. Yep. And um, I loved it, but there's a lot going on. Yeah. 
great girls, but there's a lot going on. Lot. I was actually thinking as I was trying to coach them at this age, mm. Tyler's won that event. That's what I was actually thinking yeah, last yeah, night. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, no. So at that age... And you, I think you, you got to look at the the social emotional side of it. And like, look, I'm I'm not saying, and I think people kind of get confused when I talk about this stuff because I'm like, some moments belonged to me, and a lot of moments didn't belong to me. So this didn't belong to you. It it was one of those ones where I don't. There's not that much in the sense of choice at that stage. Was there a check? It was a big check. How yeah. much was the check? It was like 21 grand or 20 grand or something. Not many 14-year-olds yeah, bought no, 21 grand. No. And so, but it's, I don't know if it just went straight into savings. I don't even think I saw it. Um, did you get one of the big checks? I did get one of the you big checks. You don't walk into I'm, the bank with the big check, No, do you? No, no unfortunately. it's unfortunately not. But Sorry, I've sidetracked you there. No, no, you're fine. It's, it's, look, it's a wild concept to wrap your head around. No, I can't it's, understand it's like, it. But I think too, like, at that time, I was raised to be and trained to be a weapon. So if you consider that, but it's not. And, like, at this stage, you can start to see the deterioration of my social-emotional life. Like, I, I was moved schools. I had a, a friendship group of about 15, moved schools and, and started to form a new friendship group. And then I think when we moved to Lennox was right at that age of 14 when you start developing really good relationships with people. Like did, I've, did, did you did you finish school all the way through? Or? No, no. I, I was out by year nine, end of year nine. So you, you've left school at year nine. I went into a distance education system, but again, I yeah, which means that I'm at home now. So, okay. And I did that for a year. <laughs> so the obvious question, you are... I'm 180 episodes in. Mm. You are, if not the, in the top five most eloquent athletes I've ever spoke to. We've been speaking <laughs> for 45 minutes. Thank you. Uh, well, it's incredible. Uh, like, have you educated yourself? Or were you this eloquent at year nine when you when, when <laughs> no. you wound up? No, I, I wasn't. Um, okay. I, I've changed how I speak so people understand me as well. Like, like you'll go back and listen to my dialect. Right. When I was younger and, and South Coast based, yeah, you I talk South Coast based. Okay. Like my dialect was, it's different, very different then. Um, Your eloquence is extraordinary. Thank you. No, I in the last probably, uh, I I didn't really know that I had a brain, which was, I think it's a freaking big one. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> uh, I didn't know that. I was tested a few times. Like actually, when I got sick and didn't have one at all, they tested me and I. Tested off the charts, like an aptitude test, because I. Oh, you're a real clever cookie. No, not not in certain areas. Yeah, oh, but I can like, see that. Um, but in other areas, I just don't know. Like I haven't been taught basic things, and you, you can tell that. Like, and so like basic things like the, the like, like history math. of a place or maths or maths or uh, things like that. Like sometimes I oh, uh, but. So there's gaps in your school education knowledge, but not necessarily your life experience. No, yes, exactly. Like I've lived okay. a big life for someone. My word, you have. Yeah. And so when it, I don't think, I think there's a few people that told me um, that I, I had a brain and I probably should use it. I didn't really know. And I think you're in an environment where that's not valued. Education was not valued. My, my father didn't value education at all. Um, it was actually you know, encouraged not to be, but I also think once you, you get to a certain point in life, being educated with your parents is, 
challenging if your parents want control in the sense of like if you're 14 and learning about life, it's in their favour or one particular parent's favour for me not to challenge. So did you blue with your dad and say, I, I want to stay in school or I want to keep? I asked, yes. And it was just a no? Yeah, no. What, you, I have an adult's job already. I'm getting paid more than what most people ever get paid in their life. So, so you um, actually said, Dad, I want to stay in school. And you yeah, s- yeah, I like want to go that. back to. So I went into distance and um, I found it really isolating. I wouldn't have used those that language at the time. I saw I, that during COVID. It was so isolating. Yeah, Kids you, educating themselves. It was horrible. Oh, it's horrible. And so... You think school's maths and English and geography, but school is interaction with your peers. I yeah, think that's inter- what all of us parents learned during you, COVID. Yeah, and, and, and what that means socially, emotionally for your children as well. Yeah. And, like, and also being around different types of people and having human variation and, and what that actually teaches your child is from my experience. So, like... I really, I didn't know how to articulate. I like keep in mind that emotional world for me was, didn't exist um, because that's not what we were trained to do. So it, it becomes a really big challenge for a 14 year old and a young girl to, to express themselves emotionally. So you, you end up really with a really big divide of like, I have this insane talent, which I'm starting to get to the point where I'm publicly recognized for it. Then you have the side of, I just want to go to school and read books and, yeah. and do these things. And they're all really quiet, soulful things that I, I love. But I, I'd i get, you know, I remember once I, I was reading a book and I loved reading. And it, it, I'd get my bedroom confiscated off me <laughs> and like my bed confiscated because... How do you mean you get your bed confiscated? Well, I had a nice bed and so the bed got... Taken, taken and I got the... Because uh, you were reading when you should have been surfing? Yeah, because I was reading when I should have been so doing... So your, your dad took your, the bed yeah. out of your room? <laughs> yeah, and gave me a, a terrible bed. Um, and okay. just weird, again, would it'll take a, a... It's taken me 29 years to figure out his psychology, which we finally... I feel like I finally kind of understand and I can appreciate how hard he worked and, and but also that it just wasn't enough for in the sense of socially, emotionally, mentally, no. safety, um, any of the kind of things now that I would look at a child and be like, okay, I've, I don't have a kid, but I know that there's certain things that kids need um, and I'm depriving my child of that. So how, so how does that play out when, so you're, you're, you're 16, you join the full-time professional tour at 16. Mm. What's that like competing against these ferocious women at 16, it doesn't sound like you actually really wanted to be there. I, I, um, like how did you handle that? What was it like at 16? There's not many 16-year-old professional athletes that travel the world. No. Was Honestly, it with your dad? Yeah, I was with my dad for a year and then I fired him. Would have gone down well. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Um, you can imagine. Honestly, like 16 in that environment, again, like with turning something that Surfing is really quiet for me, really, really quiet. I don't get extra thoughts. I don't get extra. It's just me and my relationship with the ocean. Which is why most of us surf to right. clear our mind yeah, from what we're, what we're doing or doing whatever. As a, life, yep. work, yep. everything. It's actually quite soulful and it's quite mindful. and Very much so. Yeah, and like that's one thing that I'll, I think, as much as I struggle with certain aspects, I'll always be very appreciative of that wasn't really given to me. I found that. 
and in the process of what was given. And so I'm 16 and, you know, you're heading into this wildly publicised tour and it was rogue, right? It wasn't, it's not, I wouldn't really consider it a great space for a 16-year-old. Um, it's getting better now. Not many professional sports would be. No. I don't reckon. No, I just don't think it's mentally that well, psychologically that well. And also, too, I just don't think people are really qualified. Now looking back, I'm quite in tune with what I think are red flags. And I'm like, that is a red flag and that will more than likely be an issue in five years. And, like, I'm not – I haven't been that confident to say those things. I'm getting more and more confident now because I'm seeing the red flags that yep. I've sat there five years ago going, hey, does anyone have an issue with that? that that's pretty wild. Like, mm. that doesn't seem quite right. And then five years later, like chaotic things will happen. I'm like, oh my God. Like, and people are like, oh, we're so surprised. And I'm like, but how? I don't understand. Like, so on, on that, when, when yeah. I think about that, wandering into areas which I have no experience in. Mm. So I'll say that right off the top. Yep. As a 15, 16 year old girl in a sport, how do I say this, Tyler? Where your body is on display. I don't know what the question is because I don't no, want no, to. I don't want to in, no, say no, something inappropriate. No, no, but. no, it's it's a really good topic because, or I find it is not many people talk about it, and or people talk about it, but also people don't know how to talk about. It. This is something that I I think people don't know how to talk about and talk about it in a way that's actually empowering to young women, especially young women. And so I talk about it for all the young women out there that listen. So what I would tell my 16-year-old self and, and every 16-year-old athlete is that your body is brilliant and you have trained it and if you're in a sport or whatever, your body's brilliant. It is so resilient. It is so – you will only learn and discover as you get older how actually brilliant it is. And how are we talking – and now if we move to a more specific genre of surfing and what's valued in surfing – the stronger and more powerful you are, the bigger your legs, the bigger your quads, the bigger your butt, the more beneficial it actually is. The, the more powerful you are, the better generally. And this is what I've found and this is what was not explained to me. So you, at 16, you have, you're interpreting a lot of information. In my body, I was probably one of the biggest and the strongest at that time, especially at 16. I was... I was a freak athlete in that case as well where I could lift a stupid amount of weight. Really? And, yeah, no, it was funny. We just – my trainer at the time is, again, really young, but he's just like, should we just keep going up until, you know, in a safe capacity? But, you know, I'd get numbers of like almost 200 kilos and 200 well, kilos of we, squatting. Squatting. Yeah. 200 kilos, so bars 20, 180. Yeah. So that's four twenties and a five on either side. Yeah. So holy, um, that's bend your bar material. Yeah. No, that's That's Olympic material. No, and that's he's like, did you want to look at this? I'm like, no, not at all. But this, I was probably sixteen. I was probably eighteen, nineteen at that era. And this developed you a strong body, big quads, big glutes, big glutes. So my body, I was powerful, and I've always been powerful. The only question is, is how do I control it? So I would tell young sixteen year olds to embrace that 
let like even now like I it's funny because I don't even think so so many people are scared to talk about women's bodies which I understand because we have been sexualized objectified and absolutely devalued for our athletic abilities and people have so much to say but from an athlete to another female athlete I would say in surfing specifically now I was one of the biggest women on tour as in strongest um powerful I was between 73 and 75 kilos when I won my world titles. I'd say Carissa Moore is probably second. Um, Steph had height, which was her main advantage. And she was, her strength was a lot bigger when she was younger, when she went back to back to back. She was a lot more solid then. And we're the three best in the last 15 years. There's been no doubt, no question. No becoming a woman and putting on woman power and walking into that energy instead of looking at it as like, oh my God, my body's getting bigger. It's like, oh my God, I'm actually reaching my full potential. Well, I'm developing, I'm filling in, I'm rounding out, which means that I have so much more to access. And I just don't think, I know when I was, is not appreciated. Even now, no one talks about the fact that the best in the world are probably in the sense of size and power two of the biggest that is the end of Tyler Wright part A part B awaits see you there